the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode, a very special episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and delighted as always to be joined by the man in royal purple, the one and only, irreplaceable, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? I am wonderful, Christian. How are you? You know what? I'm doing pretty darn good, all things considered. Yeah, well, you know why I'm excited is that you and I get to go to uh, the Red Iguana on Friday. Oh, man, I'm stoked. I haven't been to Red Iguana since the last time we were at Red Iguana, which was, I think, in July or something last year. I don't remember. Yeah, it's been a while. Been a long time, long time. So today is, is, is a kind of special time for us with this podcast, isn't it? It is a special time. You reminded me of it because I am horrible with anniversaries, and it happens to be <laughs> about one year to the day, not quite, but one year to the day since we started this podcast back in March of 2020, right after everything shut down for the pandemic. Yeah. I remember we actually started like two weeks before with, and then when, when the pandemic hit and everything shut down right here in the middle of March, we had to, we had to change our, our, just a little bit of our focus. And it was, it was good that we did. We wanted to provide solutions and, and resources for, for businesses to, to really manage and handle these challenging times. And, and, um, but this is going to be, you know, I know we have another episode. I think this is going to be like 49. I think we have 47 published, don't we? Or do we have 46? Uh, yeah, man, we've got, we've got a lot. It's funny. I, I'm just looking here on my computer now at this catalog of episodes. And it's been really awesome. We've had some amazing guests in the last year. Yeah. We've talked about some really interesting topics. And we've received a lot of great feedback from our listeners, too, about how the podcast is, has helped them in, in one way, shape, or form. And, that's because and, you're so easy to listen to, Christian. That's why, <laughs> that's why the people are listening. Uh, actually, I, I do better if I'm listening and not talking. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. You know, one of the things that we talked about when we started, if you recall, I remember very emphatically saying this will end and we need to, you know, we need to get through this. And well, now it's a year later and we're still in, in the thick of it. Um, the good news is, is that, you know, unemployment has, has really come down. I believe it's around six and a half percent of the United States. Uh, I think we last year got up to close to 15% in April. Uh, and it's steadily been, you know, falling that that unemployment's been falling. That's good news. The economy is uh, here in the United States and in most places around the world uh, recovering. But, you know, I've, I've been talking with people all over the world, Christian. And I mean, I just talked to people in Lebanon today, yesterday in Austria, uh, a couple of days before I was talking to someone in Ireland. They're in full lockdown in Ireland. Austria's in lockdown. Uh, you know, no, no, no ability to get together in Lebanon. And, and so these are places around the world that I just barely have, have talked to. So many of us are still in the thick of it. Yet, we've, we've learned how to 
shift and adapt and, and work. What, what I notice and, and what I'm talking to my clients about or what they're talking to me about and asking help for is there's this phenomenon that happened in early on where so much uncertainty was happening. So many people lost their job. People were afraid of losing their jobs or the you know, economy completely crashing. So people were willing to just roll up their sleeves and do whatever it, it took. And you recall in our podcast, we've talked about something called Parkinson's law, right? Initially, everyone was euphoric over the fact that, hey, I get to work from home. I don't have to commute. That's going to save me time. I'm going to have more time for my family. And uh, -uh. Uh, I mean, basically what's happened is according to Parkinson's law, work expands to fill the time available. So most of us ended up working more time. Plus we had to figure stuff out. We needed more communication. We're now dealing with kids at home. People have so much more stress, so much more anxiety than they've ever had before. And I'm going to share some statistics about, about that today. And they have worked harder than ever before. And so now what my clients are telling me is that they're just done. They're burned out. They've, they've, they put their shoulder to the wheel and rolled up their sleeves, all the metaphors, right. That we talk about, uh, grind it out. You know, we have a season that has been the never ending season has just been going on and, and people are tired. And so in the, in the last couple of days, as a matter of fact, the last two days, I've given a, a same presentation to, to, to two groups. And then the week before that, again, on this subject, and I thought maybe it would be helpful to share some of the principles that I've been talking to these businesses about uh, today, if, if that's all right with you. No, I veto that. Of course, it's all right with you, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's absolutely all right. I mean, it's urgent. It's happening right now. I do think it needs to be addressed. I personally am feeling it. Like you, I feel like I am working so hard. I have been up working since four o'clock this morning and I'm tired. And so I understand what the, what the listeners and your clients are going through yeah. uh, having these difficult times. It's been a long year. It's been a stressful year. So I, I think yeah. this topic is super timely and I really appreciate you raising it now. Well, I'm, I'm going to share with you the, the topic that, that I've been talking about. Let me fix that here. Um, basically, it's called put on your mask and cape, <laughs> own the new normal. It, you know, it's part of just recognizing that this new normal requires some, some skills that will help you to be successful. And I, and I talk about putting on your mask because that's the thing we all hate to do. But you know, this is a little kitschy for sure, but putting on your cape is, you know, tapping into your, your superhero powers to, to, to continue to, to fight on is, is the metaphor. Although so, Edna Mode from Incredibles will say, no capes. <laughs> that's right. Because you get sucked into an airplane engine or something, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that I, that I start off with when I talk to these, these different groups is I, I, I have them take a poll and I usually have it baked in. And this is one that I just did yesterday and, and I'm not going to reveal, you know, a company or anything like that. But I ask, first of all, how are you feeling about your job and life? And, you know, here's the first comment, fragile, pretty good for a Tuesday. Actually, this was, this was in, uh, this was in a company in, in, 
you know, an organization in Europe can't wait for the pandemic to end. Work-wise, it's okay. Fatigue is is kicking in a bit. You see, these are comments from other people. Some people are feeling great, busy, confident, all kinds of different, you know, answers. Um, lacking sport, but will be skiing tomorrow. Uh, busy, but healthy. So these are people in, in Austria uh, awaiting relaxation when it becomes warm. I am missing meeting with colleagues and friends already quite a lot. Bored. You know, so these are just all kinds of he's, this person is feeling arranged <laughs> um, unsure how things will evolve a balancing act but keeping it together then i ask you know how would you rate your mental health and and for this group um 15 were never better and 69 these people don't work together they're part of an association and and 69 are okay 15 are managing but i did one just the day before and it was interesting that uh, 15% admitted needing help. It's anonymous. So for them to do that within a company meeting is, is telling. And then 15% said I'm managing and, and then uh, more with okay. So basically 60% were okay to I need help and I'm managing and then 40% were never better. That's interesting, Spencer. When people are taking these kinds of polls, knowing and even though that they know it's anonymous, but knowing that they're going in and these kind of things might be brought up in a meeting, they may tend to be a little bit more optimistic. Uh, that's right. That's right. And, and so, and, and we were, we were very careful to say, Hey, listen, this, this is all confidential. No one will get it, but still some people might be a little nervous to do that. Well, here's this organization in Austria. Um, and the question I asked next is how would you rate mental health as a priority in your organization? 5% said it's not a priority. 24% said low priority. 19% saying getting better. And then 52% said it's a high priority. You know, what's interesting is this is a year now of, of data that says we've got to take mental health more seriously. And we've had more conversations about it than ever before. And yet still so many organizations are struggling with having conversations about mental health. So one of the things that I want to, to, to share with you you know, we've had, we've had guests on here. Like we had Jackie Edmiston, for example, she, you know, she's this incredible executive and she's living in uh, Switzerland, right? And she works for the, uh, the International Olympic Committee. And she talks about just crashing and, and having, um, what, what did she talk about? Just fatigue and just dealing with it and how that's, you know, really impacted her life. Well, she's not alone. A lot of people are, are having those kinds of challenges. And this grief cycle was, was really developed by a Swiss psychiatrist in 1969. And it was designed to help deal with grief resulting from the loss of a loved one, right? It, it was um, really designed to do that. But let me go back just before I, I, I get into this and talk about these results that I just shared with you on, on mental health. In May of last year, Harvard Business Review published that nearly 70% of all employees felt like the pandemic has been the most stressful time in their careers. And over 40% are seeing a decline in their mental health as a result of it. And, you know, everyone was hopeful that the vaccine would help. I mean, we're still doing that. And 
you know, I, I shared that I got my vaccine first shot last Friday and I have people around the world. I had one lady from Kenya tell me, you know, how lucky I am because they have to pay for it there. And, you know, there's favoritism and, and, you know, it's just expensive. They're not getting it out to everybody. Other countries that I talk to people are like, you know, even in Austria as, as advanced as this European nation is the chancellor, um, Kurtz, I forget his first name. Is it Martin Kurtz? I, I can't remember. He's the chancellor. He's having to fight against other EU nations to make sure that they're they're getting their fair share of, of vaccines. I mean, there's there's so many challenges and stresses. Are people like, am I going to even get the vaccine? When am I going to be able to go out? So this all relates to grief, and I, and I'm going to explain why. You know, the pandemic is ending. But the results, the impacts, the effects of this pandemic will live on for years to come. Because grief doesn't just impact us from the loss of a loved one, though many of you listening today may have lost a loved one due to the pandemic or other reasons. I mean, we lose people every day. And you know, how do you how do you deal with that? And she and she shares this cycle, but but grief comes from also think about what we've lost this last year, Christian. We've lost birthdays, we've lost anniversaries, we've lost, you know, structure, we've lost connections based on some of those things that you heard, you know, wanting to meet with people. We've we've lost getting out to to ski on the mountains, we've lost seasons. I mean, our our Utah Utes only had five games. We're lucky we had five games, but they didn't go to the postseason. They didn't continue on. So, you know, so much of the NBA and seasons were, uh, you know, were cut short last year. We've lost so much. We can't go back in, you know, if you're in Las Vegas, they just started letting a few fans now back in the arenas finally. Um, but in many places around the world, they, that you can't, go participate in, in any uh, uh, spectator sports, right? So think about what we've lost, just our way of life. There's a grief that's wrapped up in, in losing some things that are so close and important to us, this normalcy that we're missing. Yeah, it's not just the grief. Um, it's the the level of effort that's required, the just the amount of physical and mental and emotional energy that it takes to to shift everything, you know, we and 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 then and in some ways maybe that does that. I mean, that also happens, I guess, in in grief, right? When you when you lose a loved one, you you often are just kind of having to shift everything around, and and so many of us have had to shift the way we do work the what we do in the mornings and the afternoons and the evenings on the weekends uh a lot of people have suffered economic hardships uh it, you're right 100 it's been really really hard i think for everyone yeah and, and it's going to take years for us to get back to normal and so um so what i want to share with you is that you know sometimes people who have needed help the most during these times have not been able to get it divorce rates are up. I mean, I just, you know, I talked about this when we had Hadil from the, um, um, oh my gosh, what's the name of the, of the shelter in Los, Los Angeles that we had come in here, uh, Mary's house or. Um, yeah. I don't remember exactly, but yes. And she right? was great. 
and she didn't have all the data at that time. We now have data that domestic violence is up 8%. Uh, divorce rates worldwide are up because of all the stresses that people are experiencing right now. And it's going to take years to get back to normal. And, and people who are needing help the most, people who have drug addictions or alcohol addictions or uh, all kinds of needing to see psychiatrists or, or their you know, mental health uh, experts, are not getting it. And it, and, and it, the challenges haven't peaked yet. So when we experience grief, initially, what happens is we, we have this denial and there's sometimes avoidance. Remember we say, Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to hit us as bad as it hit China or whatever. Or sometimes there's elation, right? Oh, I'm so excited. We're going to work from home. I don't like going into the office or then there's shock and fear, but there, there was a lot of denial. I mean, you can, you can go look back and just, feel what that was like, right? Um, then what happens is we get to the next phase is anger. It's where we have frustration and irritation. And, and you know, uh, we might ask questions like, why is this happening to me? And you may blame others like your boss, the government or other nations government. I mean, how, how much were we blaming China for everything? Right. And, and then it was Europe because they didn't lock down early and, and they were coming to New York and that's where the big outbreak happened. You remember all the, all just blaming everybody else. Well, yeah. And, and then, you know, looking here in the States, of course, at our own government, just who, who had been talking and talking about pandemic relief and people right. waiting for it. And it's like, well, come on guys, just figure it out you know, quit playing the politics and just figure it out, figure out how to help the small business owner, figure out how to help the, the person uh, who's lost a job, you know, figure these things out, quit playing games. You're right. A lot of us felt a lot of that frustration uh, when things weren't getting sorted out as quickly as we hoped they would. Right. And so part of the challenge is you ask questions like, why me? Why can't they get it together? Or maybe if you're somebody of faith, you may ask, you know, where is God? How come he's allowing this to happen? How can this happen to me? And we can say that life is not fair. So in, in the first phase of denial, we, we, you know, is this really happening? We rationalize it's going to be over soon. But in this phase, the anger is, is based on the kinds of questions. So I want to talk to you about that and, and what that causes. Then we get to the third phase, which is bargaining. And this is where we struggle to find meaning, right? We're, we reach out to others and, you know, we tell stories and we, you know, we make what if statements like, what if I was more flexible? What if I just worked harder, which most of us did? What if I took that shift that I don't want to, you know, want to take? Uh, maybe I work with that boss that I don't want to, or I, I put off looking for another job right now just because I'm, I'm so worried. And, and so we do this bargaining saying, you know, if I, if I just am a good boy or girl, things will go back to the way it was. And that yeah, leads interesting, us. Interesting thing about that is that we, going back to the previous comment, we had to learn how to do that in different ways because, yeah, you know, you could in the past, go over to your mom's house or go visit a brother or a good friend and sit down and have a conversation or have a dinner. And then all of a sudden you can't do that anymore. No. So, so how do you start doing this bargaining? You, you, you're like, well, I don't know with this zoom thing. I don't know. Can we do these kind of things? I, I don't it's, So it, it's made it really tough on people because it's actually impacted how they would normally process this grief. We couldn't exactly. do it the way that we used to do it because of these limitations that we have. 
And, and that's right. And, and so people aren't getting the help or the support that they, that they normally would. And so that leads then to the next phase, which is depression, feeling overwhelmed, uh, helplessness, hostility, you know, flight. And, and, and this is the dangerous phase because it's like we have no control and there's nothing we can do. And sometimes we ask during this time, you know, what is the point of going on? You know, there's no meaning. A lot of people are struggling to find meaning. And if you say that there's no meaning or what's the point, I mean, in some countries, suicide is, is way up. And I know this is a little depressing, but it's important that we talk about it. Um, and it can be dangerous. And how we behave under pressure, we've talked about so long, is related to our behavioral traits. And so this pressure is, act, is causing people to have kind of their worst side of them come out more quickly. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I have. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I've noticed it in myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. generally a pretty optimistic person. It was really hard at times <laughs> during the last year to be optimistic. When I saw the industry that I worked in for the last 20 years completely crumble, thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Yeah. Um, it, it was hard. It was hard not to be overwhelmed. It was hard to, to keep a sense of hope uh, when everything around you just seems to be going in the toilet. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I'm, I, I, I'm taking my picture off because I keep uh, getting out of sync. <laughs> uh, that's the other problem, right? We got technology delays. It's just uh, frustrating. But that leads then to the final phase of acceptance. And that's where we explore options, you know, new plans to deal with the challenges where we move on. And this is not about giving in. It's not about thinking everything is going to be okay, but rather I'm going to be okay. You are going to be okay. This is where the work begins. But we must address grief and, and mental wellness in the workplace. And there's a cost if we're, if we're not willing to do that. And here is some data that, that I just recently found of unaddressed, the cost of unaddressed grief. Number one, 200 million lost workdays every year to grief. 16.8 billion in employee productivity losses. How often have we talked about increasing productivity on, on this show? Oh, so often. Uh, just to clarify, Spencer, these are just like regular annual numbers. This isn't pandemic. That's right. So this is research by McKinsey and company um, that shows that individuals well-being affects productivity, company turnover rates and health costs. And, um, that's you know where some of the you know, McKinsey is is highly respected for their accurate and, and really important uh, information, um, and then what they find is that sixty percent of symptoms of sixty uh, percent reported symptoms of mental health conditions, and of those sixty one percent said that that has impacted their productivity. So some people deal with mental health and, and you know just keep grinding on, but other people have have, have seen it really make a, a difference. And so McKinsey and company said that what's more concerning is that one third of people struggling with mental health issues, less than one third receive the help that they need for those mental health issues. Wow, that's mind boggling. And these are just regular numbers. I, the pandemic has just blown all those out of the water, I think. Yeah. 
and, and so you're right. And, and productivity losses due to, to mental health really, uh, they're astronomical. So we've got basically people calling in for sick days, short-term disability, uh, presenteeism, where employees are physically uh, at work, but they're not at full capacity. I mean, just think about it. If you, I mean, if you're, if you're preoccupied about, you know, homeschooling or everything that's going on, you're just not your best. You're just not giving everything that you can for the business. No, it's totally true. And particularly in these remote settings where, you know, you're sitting here and you're thinking, ah, oh, I just need a break. It's so easy to get up and just, <laughs> and, and you need to do this, right? You need to take breaks and so on and so forth, but it is easy to, to, to get lost in all of life's other challenges. Uh, and you're, and you're, and it's more difficult for employers to necessarily hold their people accountable because the, their, their work is not as visible because they're not seeing them in the office every day and not interact with them uh, the right. same ways. So I can see totally the challenge there. So, so what do we do about it? And a couple of suggestions I want to just share, and we can talk a little bit about six suggestions. Number one, look for humor. We got to have fun. We got we to gotta let off some steam. We'll talk about that. Change the questions instead of why me? Why is this happening? You know, who's to blame? We need to change the questions. We've actually talked about that. If you remember, we had Dan Lear talking about the power of questions. This is something I believe in, and, and, and we, need to, we need to point that out again. Number three, increase gratitude. Um, that's so, so important and so powerful. There's a concept called learned optimism. And I want to talk to you about the, the difference of being optimistic versus pe pessimistic and some science and data behind that. And then this concept act as if is, is helpful, but these are things that you can do yourself. And some of them may not go far enough. And that's where corporate wellness and mental health support can come in and, and companies really need to take a look at it. And listen, I'm not a healthcare practitioner to do this. So I'm not advocating me or anybody else, but if you have uh, these programs available with your insurance, just make sure people are, are aware of it and availing themselves of it because corporate wellness is, um, th there is an absolute impact to the bottom line when people aren't at their best and they're handling all this stress right now. So, so let's start, let's start off with number one. Let's do it. So I, I like to find, you know, these are some tweets, you know, when this first thing started happening, we all went to zoom meetings, right? Um, this person says, you know, my commute is no longer, you know, to the office. It's from my bed to the living room, but I'm still late to work every day. I'm starting to think I'm the problem. And, uh, <laughs> you know, think about it. Those people say, well, if I just didn't have to fight all the traffic and once that's gone, it still doesn't matter. We, we get to, uh, I think that's funny, but we do get to own our, our behaviors. Um, here, here's another one. We just did this really hard online escape room. A coworker says, you mean our company Zoom meeting? <laughs> um, here's one that, that shows a picture of what, what you look like when you have audio only and, and then one when you're in your, uh, in your Zoom meeting. Of course, you and I, we, we don't take the time to do our hair, Christian, do we? I don't have a lot of hair to do, so yeah, that, me either. that's a blessing when it comes to Zoom meetings. I don't have to worry too much about hair. I will say, though, it's interesting. I noticed this trend where 
when we started doing the Zoom meetings, a lot of people were using the virtual backdrops. Yeah. And then while in here in the States, I've seen that decline over time. It's like, okay, enough of the virtual. Let's, you know, we all know we're working from home, so we don't need to pretend like we're somewhere we're not. And so I've seen people just kind of use their normal living spaces and not using the virtual backdrops as much. That being said, the calls that I've had with my friends in Europe are almost all still using the virtual backdrops. I don't yeah, know they are. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of them are, um, I, you know, I know some some people, even in Canada, they just, I, I, I don't know. I think that there's a, a privacy issue. There's a strong privacy, you know, with think of all the laws they have with email and everything like that. They just, I, I like being able to kind of see, having a window into each other's lives. But I think that some people are very protective of that. And that may be why. Yeah, could be. So, you know, here's, uh, here's some of the benefits of working from home, right? We get to, we get to sit in our underwear. I, I know that's what you're wearing right now. Uh, no, I actually have sweats on, <laughs> which, which my wife affectionately calls baby pants. Yeah. It's become my uniform in the last 12 months. I, I, I wear the baby pants. Oh, that's great. How about you, well, Spencer? You've got a very dapper shirt on. You have some really I'm, nice slacks to go with that, or are you? Are you? No, I wear jeans. I wear jeans every day. But you know, here's a guy in a suit and suit and tie, and we just get it. We get to enjoy that and have a little bit of fun with with that. So I, I'm wearing my house slippers. Here's me giving a presentation with my shorts and my nice shirt and a sport coat on. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> now I, I've updated my my office or my cockpit if you will a little bit since then and um doesn't quite look like that anymore but you know we just we get to have we get to have some fun and and point out things that are that are fun all right so let's let's talk about number two and that is the powerful questions you know this is something that's really helpful in dealing with anger start asking better questions instead of asking why me ask you know what can i do now who can help me who do I know who can introduce me to people that are hiring? How can I improve my skills right now? You know, what can I do to improve my resume to be more attractive to a future employer? You know, of course, people who are employing people don't want to hear that. But what could I do to make my company better? You know, I, I, I was talking to a, a, a Planet Fitness uh, franchise in, in Houston, and, and they just hired me yesterday uh, based on a speech I gave to a CEO group last week. Remember, I was in Houston. So this CEO just hired me to help them um, work on, on how they hire and creating job models and, and how to be more attractive. I mean, they have great employees, but they want to get, they want to be better at, at, at finding the best. And so what can we do as a company to make ourselves more attractive to uh, future candidates, right? Those are, those are empowering questions. And what's amazing is we get what we focus on. Our, our brains are so powerful. If you say, why me? The brain will go figure out why you deserve all the crap that's happened to you. You know, it, it, or you're going to find out reasons why you are not worthy to, to be successful. It, it, and it, it sounds perverse, doesn't it? But that's exactly what happens. Yeah, unlike the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
you're right, more often than not, we do find exactly what we were looking for. And if we're not careful, if we're looking for the wrong things, uh, we will put ourselves in a rut even further. Correct, correct. Um, so I, I wanna show you how powerful the mind is. I'd like you to just, if you're listening, I want you to close your eyes right now. And I'd like for you to, no matter what, do not picture a red bicycle. Just don't picture a red bicycle in your mind. Just leave it completely blank. How'd you do, Christian? Well, you immediately went to red bicycle. I mean, this is the whole concept of the movie Inception, right? It's hard to uh, subconsciously implant thoughts because the moment you make this kind of a statement, we all just start thinking about red bicycles, even though that's right. it's not to. And so why that's important is because if I'm telling you, if I'm telling myself, why is this happening to me? The brain will just keep working until it finds a reason, uh, whether it's accurate or not, a plausible reason why this is happening to you. And, and so you end up recreating or, or continuing those, those challenges. Instead, if you say, okay, what can I learn from this experience? How can, I, how can I change my approach? That's where you want to get your brain power, generating ideas in a productive way. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm curious though, you said, you know, this particular, this particular strategy was quite good for dealing with anger. Uh, and so as you go through these points, you know, it's, I think it's helpful to understand how they kind of align with that, with those five stages of grief and well, this, where they can really, where they can really help. This, this, this third one is also um, really helpful for, for anger. I think, you know, the humor is good for depression I just think it's good for releasing stress and anxiety. You need to have some fun. I think that's why so many of us binged on, on movies, but be careful. I mean, I watched, what did I watch? Oh, we just watched Greenland. I don't know if you, you've seen that. It's a disaster movie. Yeah, we just rented it on the weekend. Did you watch it? We did. We watched it. I would, it made me so frustrated. They're like, oh my gosh, you're so stupid with how you're using your phone right now. And, and you know, I, anyway, I, I just kept thinking of, it, it, it made me anxious. Did it, did it do that to you? Well, my wife was kind of like that. She's like, man, these people are, you know, I'm just, I don't know where this is going and why are they doing what they're doing at the end? You're kind of like, okay. Um, you, you know, the more sci-fi elements of it kind of come into play and that makes it a, a bit more interesting, but yes, it's, it's really hard being entertained and enjoying that entertainment. If you're constantly it's too close to home, like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Yeah, right. close to home. Yeah, and so you know, we need some more humor. Maybe watch Tommy Boy or something. You know, learn some sales skills and have fun while you're doing it. Um, so, so the 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 third thing I want to share with you is about increasing gratitude, and this is a powerful, powerful strategy to fight anger. And this is about finding meaning, right? And this this also gets to the to the place where you know, we, where we're feeling, um, you know, a, a loss of meaning. And in, in that grief cycle, that, that can be that bargaining and depression er, area that's very dangerous. So this, this deals with everything. And you remember we had Nicole Kalkowski come on our show and she's just amazing. For those of you who have not heard that, go back. I can't, I don't know if it's like episode nine or something like that. It's number um, 18. Number 18. Okay. 
go back and listen to episode 18 with Nicole Kalkowski. And she tells the story of her son, Ryan, who has severe autism as well as a life-threatening disease. And the point I want to just highlight from her story was, you know, there were times when uh, many, many times when their family is getting ready to do something like go out on a little activity or a vacation and Ryan will go into a terrible seizure. I mean, he doesn't talk. He can't feed himself. He's completely dependent on them, but he'll go into a seizure and they have to take him to the hospital. And, you know, Nicole has not had a, a, you know, didn't have a great childhood and all kinds of different abuse, ran away from home at 15, but married a great man. And she's so blessed. And, but there are times with this situation where she would find herself laying on the hospital floor just crying uncontrollably and then she stops and she reminds herself how blessed she is how wonderful it is to have this child in her life the three beautiful daughters and this beautiful son how grateful she is for the experiences that they have because it's brought their family so close together the love they have for each other the compassion the empathy that they've learned you know she says you, you, you got to acknowledge that life is hard. You, you just have to. It's not that we just say everything is rainbows and unicorns, right? But she says, you have a choice to marinate in the hard stuff or shift your perspective and, and choose to find the good in the situation. She says, many people react to these situations in life and are angry. And, and you can choose to marinate in your anger. You can focus on gratitude, lean into your hardships. And, and ask, what is this teaching me? You know, what did we need to learn this last year? What did you need to learn? And she said, if you recall, you really only figure yourself out in the hardships. You don't figure, you don't learn much about yourself when you're just coasting along and everything is fluffy, right? But when you hit that, that the base of the mountain, you have a couple of choices. You can sit down and just give up or you can climb. And I love that metaphor of, of climbing because it is hard. It's hard to climb mountains. You know, I have a goal to climb six peaks this year and, and, you know, and I'm old and I'm like, it's going to be, it's going to be hard, but are you going to sit down when these hardships come or are you going to, are you going to stand up and climb? It's really interesting, Spencer, when you talk about this, and it was great to see the picture of Nicole and her family once again. Uh, it was one of my favorite conversations that we've had with guests. Uh, she is so real. Yeah. And these, these things that we're talking about in many ways uh, are counter to our nature, right? It, what, what your nature says when you're in a difficult spot is not to be grateful what your nature says, what you're, you know, what you normally would do is ask the questions, why me? Right. Basically what you're doing is saying, what you would normally do when you're going through this process, do the opposite of that to get out of it uh, or to resolve it. You know, so this, this idea of, of increasing gratitude, it runs counter to what you normally feel because when you're going through a really difficult time, the last thing you might be feeling is feeling grateful. And so 
having to try to flip that is not always an easy thing to do, right? I mean, to, to find gratitude in when you're in the throes of a, of a grieving situation, not an easy thing to do. Correct. Why don't, well, uh, this, is, this is one of the things I end with with this topic. Why don't you read? Because this, this relates to what you're talking about. Oh, now you're, gonna, you're going to test my literacy. Let yeah. me see if I can do this. The problems we face today cannot be solved by the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. And that was by Albert Einstein. So how does that relate to what you're saying, do you think? Okay. Well, exactly. You know, um, you, you've got to, you've got to be able to find the strength and you may need help to do that, to find the strength, to actually look at things a little differently. Yeah. And he, he says there's a correlation between the problems that we're experiencing in our thinking. And so in many respects, we created the problem, right? I mean, you can't just say, well, it's China's fault, but so what? I mean, we're creating our own problems. What do we got to do to to change that and we've got to change the level of thinking what we're focused on is exactly what we, what you were saying is we got to kind of in many cases go against our nature and think differently about the problem so that we can we can change the you know the the outcomes of the problems that we've created in our life so just out of the six points gratitude was what number was that four gratitude was number three three Oh, so we've, we've got a ways to go here, Spencer. What so, all right, I'll go fast. So, so learned optimism is, is number four. And this is, to me, this is so fascinating because there's, there's, there's two, well, there's two sets of, of psychiatrists. Well, one's a group of psychologists and one is a psychiatrist that, that talk about this. So I'm bringing in some, some big guns here, but um, back in, when when Martin Seligman and Steve Meyer were in their first year of their doctoral, uh, their psychology doctorate, they did this famous experiment that helped them identify this concept of learned optimism. And what they did is they took, if you maybe recall, they took these two groups of dogs and they put them in cages to shock them. And they had a, a bell that would go off, you know, kind of a Pavlovian uh, signal and then a shock would happen for seven seconds and in the first cage there was a little button that the dogs could touch with their nose and stop the shocks in the second cage there was no such such button and the dogs just had to endure the seven seconds of 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 shock so what they found is in the first group you know the the dogs learned how to control their destiny and turn off the shocks whenever they heard the bell and, and they did that. They became proactive. What they found in the second cage is that the dogs start to just give up. They lay down on the hospital floor, so to speak, and just whimper and let the beatings continue until, until they end because they can't do anything other than just, you know, accept the, the you know, the challenges. And, and this became known as learned helplessness. And what what these two found is that both animals and humans act very much the same way when we experience things that we can't control. It's called learned helplessness. And at first, a lot of their peers said they're crazy. Dogs can't learn helplessness or optimism. And they studied this for again and again, and they found that it, it is true. Animals and humans both learn helplessness. 
But here's where the, 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 the experiments get interesting. They took the dogs and put them all in the same pen that didn't have a, a, you know, a cage top to it, but had a wall around it about four feet high, I believe. And while they were all in there, they, they sounded the alarm like the shock was going to happen. Now, most of the dogs who had learned to take control or had, had the ability to take control, as you might expect, jumped up and, and got themselves out of there. But what was really interesting was one third of the dogs that had no reason to be optimistic got up and jumped out. That's what they wanted to focus on. It's called learned optimism. So they studied that. And here's what I want to ask you, Christian. I want you to imagine a scenario. And I'm going to put you on the spot. And those of you who are listening, I want to put you on the, on the spot as well. I want you to think of a scenario. And, and here's the scenario. Imagine that you can't get all the work done that others expect of you. Now imagine... Imagine one major cause for this event. What comes to mind? Uh, I actually had two thoughts came to my mind pretty much at the same time. Oh, uh, the, the and the very first one, and I'm being completely transparent here. The the very Good. first one was <laughs> the very first thought that came to my mind was someone dropped a big deliverable on me at the last minute. I I it wasn't planned and. All of a sudden, I have this this uh, unforeseen deadline that I have to meet, and that's caused me to uh, feel this the sense of being overwhelmed. I have too much to do. That was right. the first thought. Literally a half second later, my next thought was, I procrastinated. I shouldn't have watched Man of Steel last night. I should have just done more work last night so I wouldn't feel so overwhelmed today. So I have these two thoughts literally within a half a second of each other. So, so one, one, one of those thoughts took responsibility and the other one didn't. Yes. So here's what, here's what they said. And I'm, and I'm trying to see if I can shut down stuff on my computer and get this thing to work. Um, okay. Basically what, what, what they said is if you're a pessimist, you might say something like, I mess everything up. I can't do this. And so what they say is that pessimists look at challenges as pervasive and, um, and persistent. In other words, their problems are everywhere and I can't, and they're going to persist. I can't, nothing I do is going to change it. Right. Optimists on the other hand, find that problems are specific and temporary. And, and so the optimist might say something like, you know, I didn't manage my time well. I, um, I allowed myself to get distracted by the, the, the show or, you know, I, I um, you know, that means that the problem is temporary and fixable so that you can take action and do something about it. But if you're a pessimist, if you, if, if you assume that everything is persistent and pervasive, then nothing you do really matters. And so you do nothing. And what they found in their research is that optimists experience just about as much hardship as the pessimists. There, there's not a difference there, but it's how they handle it that matters. 
You know, it's interesting hearing you explain it that way, Spencer. Uh, from an optimist point of view, if someone falls short, the way you're describing it is you're describing it as kind of a, uh, a, a temporary um, behavioral an anomaly almost like, oh, well, yeah, I, I made a mistake. That that's that I that, can fix. That you can fix. That's that's something that that comes with optimism, whereas the pessimist is focusing on character flaws. The, the, there are things that are inherently wrong with me, or society, or my boss, or the or the government. Yeah, I procrastinate. I'm a loser. Or yes, um, you know, people are idiots. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right. it's that kind of a thing. Uh, so that's very, very illuminating. I appreciate you uh, framing it that way for me. Well, I, I know we're running out of time, but let me let me just so let's maybe finish on on this. But what he found is that what they found is optimists earn higher grades. They're less likely to drop out of school. Young adults are healthier. They live longer uh, than pessimists. They're more satisfied in their marriage. They're more likely to stay in their job. According to one study by MetLife Insurance. They sell 25% more. This is optimists versus pessimists. Um, other sales professions like telecommunications, auto, real estate, banking, they found that optimists outsell pessimists by 20 to 40%. All of this research that they found led to what's called behavioral cognitive, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which shows that we can, we can change the story we tell about ourselves and change the outcomes that we're having. You know, hardships like we've experienced this last year can be a catalyst for positive change. And I have so many more stories that, that can explain that, but, but to, to look at hardship as an opportunity for growth and learning and development is, is, is very, very powerful. I have so much more to share, but we're out of time. I know you got to go. Is that right? Uh, yes, I, I do. I do. There was... There were a couple of things that were left on our list. Maybe we'll, we'll save them for, for next time. But I'm curious, in your very recent experiences here, Spencer, working with clients who are dealing with these kinds of challenges as you are going through and helping them, what kind of impact is the work that you're doing having on them? So, so what I'm hearing is, is people are, are, some of them are saying, thank you for reminding me. Sometimes I need to just be reminded that, that I have the ability to, to, you know, really control my own destiny. And I'm, you know, what is that? What is that? Oh, let me see if I can find that really quickly. There's a, there's a great poem by William Ernest Hensley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And I think what it's doing is it's reminding people that they are the captains of their souls. And I think these are principles that are true that every once in a while we needed to be reminded of and empower ourselves to lift ourselves out, to change our thinking, and to solve our, you know, our, our current problems and circumstances. And, and so it gets them thinking uh, really as what can I do? Who can I talk to? In many cases, it's me. In many cases, it's other people that I refer them to or that they know to help them solve those problems. And they get into 
solution mode, innovation mode, creativity mode, and they start solving problems. Well, so I, I, you were inspired, I think, to to read that poem. I, my wife and I just watched Invictus. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's, I have South yeah, Africa, right, South Africa, and the rugby team, and yeah. uh, and uh, Nelson Mandela after 27 years of prison writes this writes that poem to the captain of the rugby team. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, that's that's in the movie, um, and and it was something that and who knows how historically accurate these things are, right? But it was it was positioned as uh, uh, Nelson Mandela. That was something that that was a poem that he treasured while in prison, uh, yeah. which he then used to help motivate the South African. Isn't that interesting that he used that, that poem while he was in prison, while he had no control, but he was in control of his attitude. And we'll pick it up there next time. All right. Remind South me of that. Plan. Spencer, it's been a great year and I look forward to many, many more. I appreciate you coming onto the podcast. If people want to learn more about how you can help them or if they just want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Oh, thank you so much, Christian. It's been so great to be with you. Uh, go to altiumleadership.com, A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. And you can message me there. How about you, Christian? How can they reach you? Uh, well, people can find me at the websites, uh, gp4.com, G-P-F-O-U dot, oh my gosh, gpfour.com. Uh, or you can look me up on LinkedIn, Christian Napier, or my email, cnapier at gp4.com. All right. Well, it's been a great year. It's been a challenging year, but it's been uh, super educational and informative. And it's really been nice to, to uh, collaborate with you on this crazy podcast and, and learn so much. I really appreciate it. Listeners, please like and subscribe and we'll catch you again soon. Spencer, thanks. Thank you. Thank you.